Hello and welcome to the Truth About Local Government podcast, a podcast aimed at providing a platform to promote the excellent work that the political members and officers of local authorities are doing to overcome the increasing challenges facing the communities across the UK. Additionally, we will be promoting the wider way of career opportunities that exist within local government. We hope this podcast will help drive engagement between the public and local authorities across the UK. Good morning and welcome back to The Truth About Local Government. Now, today I'm delighted to have with me uh, a property a property whiz, somebody who knows a lot about uh, how to get the most value from assets. But my guest today, Nick Cummings, has a really, really interesting background, private sector uh, expertise and development has been uh, a true property warrior, as it were, in local government, ensuring value was achieved um, for the for the, uh, the for the pound for uh, taxpayers. And, and today we're going to be talking about a very relevant um, and interesting topic around how property development and regeneration now and moving forwards can achieve the best outcomes for the councils and for the community. So without further ado, Nick, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. How are you? Uh, very well, thank you, Matt. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. I'm very excited actually to talk about this. And I guess the listeners at home, Nick, if you could start by giving us a bit of context as to, you know, where we are at the moment in terms of the rules around uh, borrowing for the purposes of, of development and regeneration. Yes, thank you, Matt. Yeah, I mean, uh, just by way of brief background, um, I was part of a team that uh, acquired investments for uh, Spelthorne Borough Council. Um, that's a role I was very proud in playing and just to reinforce some of the uh, positive PR that Spelthorne have been trying to um, put out recently. Spelthorne is in very good shape as a result of its robust investment portfolio, investing a billion pounds, yielding 55 million, netting approximately 10 million uh, to uh, run the borough. Um, the difference between the 55 million and the 10 million goes to repayment of loans and a set aside of a sinking fund, which is now at about 38 million. So to me, that's a good historic model of how things worked. Of course, moving forward, um, the, the uh, uh, landscape has changed. Um, and the focus now is on, in my opinion, on looking at regeneration and housing and how those two uh, uses can marry. And to remind everyone that it is possible still to borrow from PWLB for those purposes, but the appropriate disciplines do need to be applied to ensure that a good business-like outcome is achieved. Before we get into that, and again, it's just something that you've mentioned there, and I'm just keen to just to explore it a little bit. Do you think Spellthorns had an unfair press on the investments? Uh, yes, undoubtedly. Um, uh, I, 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 it's uh, frustrating for me personally. Um, as I say, I'm very proud of the role I played. Um, and of course, you know, every local authority is very different. But in the case of Spellthorn, um, I can speak from personal knowledge, you know, that portfolio happens to be in good shape. And that was a springboard for some very exciting regeneration projects, uh, uh, single person homeless hostel, another homeless hostel built uh, from scratch to be brand new, passive house leisure centre uh, on site at the moment. Uh, and a substantial amount of affordable housing rental built as well, um, with more hopefully in the pipeline at this point in the future. 
well, look, that's amazing. Those numbers sound very healthy. So um, I just thought I just just, just wanted to, just, just to go on that because it has had a bit of an unfair stick in the press. Yeah, I mean, I think, yourself. I, yeah, I think understandably because, you know, uh, unfortunately, some other local authorities haven't been as successful. And, uh, you know, there but for the grace of God, uh, there's no judgment there. But, of course, um, uh, it's easy to get caught up because the borrowings are so high. Uh, but the borrowings are well covered against value and against income. So let's get into this then around um, regeneration. How do you make regeneration successful and wash its face commercially today and moving forwards as a council? Um, well, I suppose if I could answer that with, uh, I'll try and go through how property development works for the private sector, because one of my concerns is that there's a mismatch in pricing between on risk between how the public and private sectors view risk. So I'll I'll try and do this if you like from the the purpose from the point of view of the public sector, a local authority. Um, so if you have a piece of land and you don't feel you're capable of developing yourself, then you tend to bring in a joint venture partner. Um, and what does that joint venture partner bring? Well, generally he brings skills and money, um, but he expects a substantial reward, you know, normally somewhere in the region of 20% of gross development value. Um, now, that's a very high price to pay. If you look at skills, um, perhaps your particular team doesn't have them. They can be brought in. And if you look at uh, money, as I say, for the right project on the right terms, that can be raised on a much better basis by the local authority rather than the private sector. In other words, the private sector's money is more expensive than the public sector's money. So when you put all those factors together, actually working with the private sector needs real skill and discipline. And I certainly wouldn't rule it out. But I, I do feel, having worked on both sides of the fence, that often the pricing of risk uh, is priced too high by the public sector partner uh, and is paid, uh, uh, paid accordingly. That's interesting. I mean, I had a conversation with this on again, completely separate topic, but about risk with highways and about the depth of concrete utilised. Because, you know, risk sometimes within the public sector, when they look at risk, they're almost crippled by it. They can't. Yeah. They can't seem to properly look at risk because there's always risk, obviously, when it comes to investments and regeneration. You know, uh, but if you wait for it to be completely risk free, it's not viable. You know, and it, it it's a really interesting piece to talk about risk. How do you think the public sector could better prepare themselves? or better kind of be more comfortable with risk management? Yeah, it's I, I, a, a really good point. I mean, um, you know, I've, lots of books have been written about this, so I'm, uh, I'm going to be accused of oversimplifying. But for the purpose of the debate, if you look at risk in terms of property development, which essentially is what an awful lot of regeneration is, um, your, prime, your first risk is um, uh, land assembly or land acquisition. Um, your second, and that may not exist because very often local authorities own an awful lot of land. Your second risk then would be securing the right planning permission. Again, that should be a manageable risk because you're likely to be wishing to regenerate within the appropriate confines of your local plan or local planning policy. Um, your next risk is, risk is construction. Construction could be laid off to the contractor um, at the right price. Um, so if you procure properly, your construction risk should be sitting with the contractor and not with you as a client. And then finally, occupational risk. Um, and uh, occupational risk, I think, is very high 
in a lot of regeneration projects where you may be relying on, for example, retail occupiers. But if you're relying on residential occupiers, then that risk is very quantifiable. And I'm using the word occupiers there purposefully because I think one area that is not focused on enough is residential rental, both private sector and affordable. And I think, you know, there is a growing market for more rental properties and that does assist in providing more housing. This may not be the entire answer, but I think it's a useful strand to an answer for the housing crisis. There's a, I was, again, I've seen it, I've talked about this before, but there is, last year, more private landlords left the market than entered it. And that has yeah. obviously a huge impact on rent rates because obviously there's less less supply and demand goes up. How do you think, we talked off there about the, the kind of the holy grail, in your opinion, around regeneration should be around providing social value. Yeah. How do, does the commercial aspiration of the private sector and delivering social value, can, can those two, uh, concepts and well not concepts but two uh, factors coexist do you think in a regeneration scheme? I, I think they can I think um, uh, social value needs to be very strictly defined and the holy grail I think we were discussing in a way is to to really bring social value to a comparable level of what uh, you know pound shilling and pence profit is um, and uh, if you are able to identify clearly what your social value you are creating is, then that should form part of the project. In my experience, not always, but in my experience, often social value is too woolly. Um, and, you know, it needs to be more clearly, clearly defined and definable. Um, but I do think going back to my sort of simple model around the 20% profit of what a private sector developer may be looking for, you could also look at this from the perspective of if um, a local authority was prepared to do direct development and properly quantify the risk itself, that 20% profit could go towards social value directly. So that money doesn't have to go to the joint venture partner. It could be directed back into the project and you could capture that in social value yourself. It's interesting, isn't it? And I, I really like the fact that you talked today about almost being woolly because actually a lot of the time, if you can have at the start of a program and a start of a process, a very clear metric as to how you're going to measure success of a scheme and of a project, you can then throughout the process at the end of it, turn around and go that either met and was successful or I can yeah. learn from it. If it is woolly, you're there. Well, it's it's achieved something, but I can't really put my my finger on exactly what it is. Nick, obviously yeah. you've led. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. I was just going to say, you know, I was just thinking about the Passive House Leisure Centre at Staines that uh, Spellthorne are building at the moment, where, you know, that's meeting a number of the corporate objectives of the borough. So in part, I think that can be looked at as, as, as social value. Um, so it's meeting climate emergency objectives in terms of a Passive House performance for a very energy hungry facility. And at the same time, we'll be looking to be a uh, financially viable venture. So obviously, Nick, you've led on some significant developments and we talked here about it not just being commercial, but also in housing, this the, the mm -hmm. discussion we're having today. What's the next factor to consider? We've talked about making sure that it, it you know, the, the pricing works with the private sector and the risk management. What are the other factors that need to be considered to make sure that regeneration is a success? Um, well, I think I, in my mind, I'm focusing particularly on town centre regeneration. And I think uh, 
local authorities are incredibly well placed to try and participate in the next version of what towns and cities should look like. And I know that uh, um, the uh, RSA are producing some very interesting information on this very soon um, around, you know, what the future of the high street will be. I, I, I did in my degree many years ago to uh, uh, my final year paper on what the, high, the future of the high street, um, uh, which is not remotely relevant anymore now. But, um, you know, in my opinion, most high streets are going to contract in terms of retail floor space. I don't think that's a particularly earth shattering observation. And many of them will, those many of those retail uses will return to their pre-Victorian uses, in my opinion, which were residential. Um, and I think if that is a broad strand that could be pursued, then I think councils are well placed to uh, be the catalyst to not only address housing need, but also assist in regenerating high streets with more local populations, again, living in town centres. It's an interesting one, isn't it? It's making the town centre fit for purpose and, and also relevant very much as yeah. our conversation today, making sure that the town centre is relevant, making sure that it it's more a place to go and, and to spend time and socialise rather than actually the amenity, the retail amenities that maybe have been there previously. A great, agree. To use the uh, sort of retail phrase, it's going to be more experiential. It's not a great word, I admit, but uh, there's going to be more experiences, more, more you know, great places to eat, uh, uh, not just where you want to go and shop, uh, basically. And, you know, I... I, I I'm I'm very optimistic for the future of the high street. You know, town centres aren't going to change. We as human beings don't change as fast as we like to think we do. And there is a need to go into town centres to form part of a community um, and to, uh, you know, just be with other people. Um, so, you know, some of the projects I've worked on recently around with uh, the NHS of bringing medical, uh, different types of medical centres into town centres, I think are you know, is a very sensible and good idea and helps underpin, you know, what a town centre is all about. So in terms of that, then, what are the barriers around town centre development? So we've talked about, obviously, the pricing. Um, you've talked about ensuring that it's relevant. What other considerations need do, do local government authorities need to take or, in other words, are actually having to take and tackle at the moment to try and deliver these schemes? Uh, well, again, speaking in generalities, I think... Um, most town centre uh, regeneration opportunities are heinously complicated. Um, the ownerships of land, for example, will be many and complex. And, you know, you may have a shopping centre uh, where you have an office block above it, which may be in a separate ownership. Um, uh, it may be empty, it may be full. And trying to have a vision um, to implement a regeneration around all of those um, uh, different moving pieces is daunting and uh, it needs a real alignment of uh, political will and officer intent to, to see that happen, whether that's directly or with a joint venture partner. And forming that vision in itself can be uh, extremely challenging, I think. One of the problems that I see is that sometimes councils, leaders, officers, uh, you know, there is a almost an intolerance to the actual upfront cost of getting the right expertise in the room to deliver not even just to deliver but to look at whether a scheme is feasible and to you talked about the complexity there to make sure make the to make the complex simple and to get all yeah. the right stakeholders in the private sector and the internal officers and the members 
on the same page and to make the scheme work is not cheap. And absolutely, you know, when you actually look at, you know, that upfront cost and that, you know, I've got, you know, a number of like yourself, highly qualified, very successful development specialists, you know, that that has a cost. And sometimes there doesn't seem to be the appetite to spend the money to see it all the way through because you sometimes councils want to kind of after they've kind of done the feasibility, try and then deliver it within house resource, which then doesn't work because the reason why in the first place you bring in that resource because you haven't got it. I mean, I guess really question I have there is do you in your experience, have you kind of have you, have you kind of felt that there has been an intolerance around costs associated with agency or consultants on those kind of long term programmes? Uh, unfortunately, yes, I think that's right. And I think it's um, I think often it can be, result from, say, maybe picking random fig, figures at random here, but maybe there's been a 20 million pounds acquisition of a shopping centre. But actually, that 20 million pound acquisition is like the key to unlocking a 300 million pounds development. And there is insufficient focus on that ultimate end value of 300 million pounds in terms of expenditure in year one of say five or ten um you know and i suppose to an extent that goes back to a sharing of the vision um and yeah i think that i think that's right i think it's daunting i suppose it goes back to the point i was making it is daunting but you're absolutely right you've hit the nail on the head matt that uh um you know there is an aversion to spending money on consultants um and to an extent I've seen examples of where I'm I'm not necessarily a fan of consultants myself and the you know the old mutter of you know don't employ a consultant to tell you what the time is when there's a wristwatch on your on your hand uh, but there are occasions when consultants I've properly procured are providing real value and you know that's what needs to be focused on I I think that goes back to you know ensuring that you have the expertise in house to procure consultants in the first place quite frankly how do you change the mindset then of and again i'm not sat here criticizing because I, the, the the reality is the reason why there is normally such an aversion is because councils are so financially hamstrung financially you know they're yep. on a crash course to there's like an ex, existential threat to them from a financial perspective and, and then delivering services and regeneration is one aspect of that but that being said how do you think we can try and get councils to consider the long term and the the broader uh the broader kind of program the the the, the uh the macro rather than the micro and actually look out and say right okay well look look where we're going to be in 20 years time yes there's upfront costs and yes you need to see it through but it will be worth it how do we get you know officers and members to see that i think it's incredibly difficult and i think i have enormous sympathy for senior officers and members who have incredibly challenging uh, uh, central government uh, uh, restraints on their expenditure and you are you do have meetings where you know very very serious discussions are having to be made about vital frontline services um, as number one item on the agenda and then number six item on the agenda is you know what are we going to be doing about this regeneration project and you can't expect um, uh, senior personnel to be able to change gears in that way so I, I think it's important to put this in the context of the incredibly difficult constraints that local authorities are operating under. Um, that said, if there is the opportunity to take a step back, local authorities 
are intrinsically long-term organizations. They're going to be around for, you know, the foreseeable future. And therefore, um, they do need to be making long-term decisions. And the short-term decisions that get made often have to be turned around because they're made in haste. So I'm, I'm not, I'm only answering your question broadly, Matt. I'm saying that there's, I have enormous sympathy for the, for the difficulty, but just because it's difficult, we shouldn't, we should keep on trying to do it, in my opinion. Absolutely. I guess another bit as well, you talked about kind of uh, short term focus. One of my concerns is about the selling off of the family silver, um, you know, to balance the books, because I mean, I've spoken to a number of property leaders and they go, guys, just as you know, once we've sold it, we can't then get any rent from it. You know, yeah. and of course, everyone yeah. knows that. But there does sometimes feel when there is the books need to be balanced. And again, this comes back to the broader piece that councils can't carry debt, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, you know that that yeah. kind of again if that could be flexible if that could be more flexible then obviously that would allow for a far more commercial kind of a, a operating model for councils to to run but that's a separate point i guess really yeah. just it's around you know sometimes the shoe you talked about sometimes short-term decision making i mean what do you what are your thoughts around that i i couldn't agree more and i hope i'm not just speaking as a property person but i i do i i strongly believe that if you can hang on to your property assets and you actually invest in them, they can become real assets that return for you an income in the long term. Um, that is challenging. And it may involve selling some in order to invest in others. I get that. But the the, the wholesale nature of selling everything, selling the family silver, I think is a great shame. And I think, you know, residential rental, for example, is a good example of that. That in itself could become an asset class for the borough. So you build... Uh, rent those properties either on an affordable basis or uh, on a private rental basis um, and effectively you know that's a big buy to rent for the local authority and over time that will um, yield clear income for the uh, local authority it may take a number of years it may take 10 to 15 years uh, but in the meantime you're meeting a number of your corporate aims by providing housing and uh, if it's affordable, taking some uh, uh, lines off your housing list at the same time. Um, so it's meeting an awful lot of corporate objectives in doing so. So that to me is an example of please don't sell something which could become of long term value. And if you do sell something and in five years time, the private, the, the, the market has developed something that you could have done yourself, then you need to look yourself in the mirror very clearly in my opinion absolutely i guess as well you know you, you said this to me many times it's about having that continued focus to re review your portfolio to ensure that the property in question is yeah. uh, it's supporting the primary function of the authority and that it's all working in tandem um, yeah and and you know again i want to I, I it's easy to talk at a high level here i i do have enormous sympathy for lots of property colleagues who struggle to hang on to their you know planned and reactive maintenance budget um, and have it constantly raided uh, because it's a, a pot of money um, that is handy for the unforeseen. Um, so, you know, at, even at a very mundane level, uh, this is these are very difficult day to day issues to handle. And again, I'm not uh, wishing to sound unsympathetic to the incredible constraints that local authorities are having to operate under financially. No, absolutely. And again, I, I don't think anyone would would suggest that, you know, you and I today have done anything other than to say, actually, we, we understand there was a huge pressure, but it's about just trying to hold 
your nerve and remember why you started out in the first place because it has to be seen through because with all these things the benefit isn't really felt till much you know the much longer term yeah. um what would be kind of the one the one piece of advice that you would say to a local authority maybe looking at a development or a development that's not kind of going to plan that could help turn that around uh, <laughs> yeah, I, do, I think the second the second part of that question is a lot harder of development not going to plan is, you know, so you're halfway through something and uh, things don't go right. And that is the nature of development, I'm afraid. Uh, uh, they don't tend to go to plan and it's managing managing your plan accordingly. Um, uh, how badly it's going off course, I suppose, is the issue. I think uh, currently an awful lot of projects I think are going off course because of building cost inflation, for example. Um, and I think that goes back to making sure you get your procurement strategy absolutely right. Um, to try and take the easier part of the question, um, if you're at the start of a project, um, I suppose my uh, plea and advice would be ensure there's proper unity within the senior team, uh, both ideally, both politically and at senior officer level, and um, be positive and be confident. Um, because I do believe that local authorities have an amazing opportunity to really deliver for their communities and to, uh, you know, really deliver on, you know, the localism agenda that doesn't get talked about much. Uh, and of course, uh, is a little bit uh, schizophrenic because on the one hand, localism is talked about and on the other hand, finances continue to be centralized but i do think if you look at what local authority powers um exist in terms of either cpo or the threat of cpo uh land ownership uh the ability to uh borrow money in the long term for the right projects um the enthusiasm by an awful lot of other landowners to work with local authorities I think many local authorities are in an amazing position to, uh, you know, to deliver to deliver something that the public sector, frankly, won't. The, I beg your pardon, the private sector won't. Really insightful, Nick, and I, I thank you for your time this morning. It's been fantastic talking to you. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Truth About Local Government podcast. Today, we've been very lucky to have Nick Cummings on, who is a specialist development and regeneration consultant, supporting local authorities as a strategic partner to ensure that developments and regenerations achieve their, achieve their full potential. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please give it a like, give it a share, give it a five-star review. And I look forward to bringing to you some more interesting episodes later in the week. Goodbye for now. You have been listening to the Truth About Local Government podcast. Remember, your local council does some amazing work, but you can help. So remember to vote and be engaged with the work they're doing. If you like this podcast, please like, share and give a five-star review. If you would like to feature on the podcast, have any shout-out of excellent work being done by a local authority, or have any topics you would like covered, please email me at truthaboutlocalgovernment at gmail.com truth about local government. Local government is at the heart of what we do.